0: Forever. Dog! They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in to or whenever the time is right. It's the writer's panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now.
1: Oh, yeah! Please meet each other. This is also how I start the podcast, with you all meeting each oh, other. Okay. Great. <laughs> so consider it this um tell us who you are so the listener can hear your voice also tell us some places where they may have seen your name on their tv or movie screen Um, and mary let's start with you
2: my name is mary laws i'm the creator uh showrunner of monsterland coming out uh on hulu uh in october um on their tv screen uh you may have seen me writing for this series preacher uh that was on amc Uh, or more recently on Succession uh, on HBO. And um, I also co-wrote the screenplay to uh, The Neon Demon, directed by Nicholas Wending Refn. Probably that's where you would have uh, seen Mary Laws pop up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's that's definitely good. Um, (laughs) Brandon.
3: Hi. Um, I love Neon Demon, by the way. Thank Uh, you. It's an amazing movie. Um, Thank you so much. um, You may have seen uh, my name on television. Uh, My big, the thing I worked on the longest was the Star Trek franchise. I worked on three different of the shows and wrote two movies. Um, I did a show called 24. Uh, My only horror television work was a show I co-created called Salem. Um, I wrote and directed two seasons of a science show called Cosmos I'm currently producing a show called the Orville, which is a lot like Star Trek and uh, Have a movie coming out uh this about a week or two before Mary's show Or no a week after maybe uh, called books of blood, which is based on the Clive Barker anthology uh, Six-volume anthology which I wrote and directed
0: great and Matt uh well Mary you're not alone I'm also nervous with stuff like this so yay um, <laughs> um, it's a,
1: that's
2: an awkward episode Ben <laughs> yeah,
1: yes <laughs> a, a bunch of writers uh, and a zoom how could it be
2: <laughs> yeah right during like a pandemic when the world is on fire <laughs> um I lo- I adore the soundtrack to Neon Demon too
0: just uh yeah! just like that. boy that's fantastic um uh let's see um I started, uh, my writing partner and I, um, Ian Sobel, and I uh, worked on From Dusk Till Dawn was our first show. Um, That was our first uh, staffing show. Uh, We then kind of bounced between From Dusk Till Dawn and 12 Monkeys uh, for a couple seasons. And then after that, we moved on to Siren, which is a freeform show. And then most recently, uh, the reason for being here was uh, we just worked on Hellstrom, Hulu Marvel's Hellstrom um, we're uh, supervising producers on that show which also premieres in the fall
1: yes premieres uh, these all premiere within weeks of each other the first three weeks in uh, October and everyone and should go check them out
3: they're calling it they're calling it Huluween
1: right Spooky. <laughs> they can call you it don't that. have to say I'll say it no one else has to. <laughs> <laughs> A real company man, Brandon, from, from the get-go. <laughs>
3: um,
1: I want to talk about uh horror to start with. Uh it is Huluween, obviously. Um let's talk about horror. And you know, the best horror has something more to say than just being about the monsters. Um, and I think you know, each of you has been working on a show that tries to do that. Um and Mary, I want to start with you on this because I, I think Monsterland is just a fascinating show. Um, I, I really enjoyed those short stories when I read them and it's really neat to see the tone and the themes of those stories carried over to the screen um, really yeah. successfully. Um, Thank you. I'd like to talk about your getting involved with this show and what is the idea behind it? What are, what is, what are you using horror to talk about? if anything?
2: Sure. I mean, so I started as a playwright, um, and was kind of hired to write this screenplay with Nick Ruffin while I was finishing up a playwriting degree and honestly had really no, uh, um, I had never thought about writing for film and television and I had especially never thought about writing for horror, but what I learned um, as I sort of jumped onto that boat and just kind of like started paddling with with Nick was that horror is a really incredible um, form of social commentary. Um, I think that you know my experiences of the world are both equal parts um, beautiful and, and and brilliant but also completely horrific. I'm, I think we could look at the world around us right now and we can see a lot of that horror um coming to the surface and uh, there's a lot of private horror that's becoming public. Um, I think the internet has, you know, made that possible. And so what I really like about the genre is that you're able to approach some of those um, harder, more painful um, su- subjects um, from from a place of, of genre. And I think maybe it, to me, it feels more approachable. I guess than seeing that for in, as like a straight drama or something like that. Um, I, I hardly ever write straight drama. In fact, when I worked on Succession, which was a really fun and and uh, happy show to be a part of, it was a very happy room. Jesse Armstrong is an incredible person um, to work for. I found that to be sort of harder for me um, because uh, even though it's you know it's a satire and there's a lot of humor. I, I find that I can talk about something more if it's a little bit elevated. And so to me, horror really gives, gives me that way in. Um, Which is why I loved uh, Nathan Ballingrud's book, North American Lake Monsters, which Monsterland is loosely based off of. We're an eight part anthology series. And so some of our eight episodes are direct adaptations from his book. Some are inspired by stories from his book. Uh, Some are, sort of monsters of our own creation. Um, he got to be a part of the writer's room with us for uh, two weeks at the very beginning, um, came in and and helped us sort of uh, adapt his stories, but also come up with new stories in his same genre. Um, and what I loved about his book is that it is horror, certainly, but it's kind of, it sits in a subgenre of horror called weird fiction, um, which I think to me is always, the best horror, weird fiction is like um, it sits really close to our natural world, um so it's a it's a world that's really recognizable, but where like you know uh, supernatural elements, dark elements can can sort of step forward out of the shadows and talk to a, a person living in a world that we recognize like I think Rosemary's baby is a really great example of like that weird fiction um. I really love Roman Polanski's Repulsion, which I think is a great example of that weird fiction where you're sort of allowed a deeper insight into your world through something that appears more dark and, um, and even at times like scary, demonic, but not always scary, sometimes also just strange and mystifying and beautiful. Um, and that's what Nathan's book does. Um, he's got a, it's an anthology of short stories that I thought were so very human and truly, truly rooted in our world. It's not a, it's not a world that's completely unrecognizable. Um, and I felt so connected to the material because of that, because we were, it was going to provide me, provide the writers, provide us with a platform to talk about real, issues, real humans, our real current moment, um, but with uh, some kind of elevation, with a lift um, that would be both entertaining, but also um, uh, packed full of, of, of meaning. Yeah. So that's, that's what I loved about his book, and that's really what our show is, is mm-hmm. striving to do.
1: Yeah, I want to pick that up when we come back around and talk about some of the specifics having to do with that specific episodes and, and you know, the the themes you're exploring through those. Um, but, Brandon, let's talk about Books of Blood for a second. Um,
2: I loved it, by the way. I got to watch uh, half of, of the first episode, Brandon, and it's so, so wonderful and and terrifying and delightful. Really?
3: Oh, gosh. Uh, thank you. And I, I got to see... Uh, First couple episodes of Monsterland, too. And I saw some uh, parallels there. um, Yeah. What were those Uh, parallels? Well, the the first episode of Monsterland, um, well, you you probably haven't gotten to the end of the first story, uh, and I don't want to give away what happens in either of our stories, but uh, both involve a female protagonist with an unhappy domestic life who... Uh, both find a way out of their reality, and m- to to tell to say how would be to spoil both stories at this sure. point. But um, you mentioned Repulsion, which was my main influence on the, the about the Jenna character who mm. has a loose is a loose grip on reality.
2: Yeah, uh, I can see that.
3: And begin moves into an Airbnb where some very strange things are happening that may or may not be in her mind. And, um, and Repulsion was the direct inspiration for that. So I was so happy to hear you mention that movie because it's, my, it's my, one of my favorite movies. Me too. Um, and of course, Ben, I've forgotten your question.
1: That's all right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I was going to reframe it for you anyway. Um, I'm just curious about like, why Books of Blood? Why now? And why were you the guy to tackle it? What spoke to you about the material?
3: Um, what spoke to me about the materials when I first read them, um, in the mid to late eighties, uh, I was a horror fan already, but these stories were so, um, at the time, shocking and imaginative and transgressive. And, um, as Mary said, you know, could tackle subject matter, uh, obliquely through metaphor horror horror metaphor that people just weren't going near. I mean, he was the first horror writer to have uh, gay characters and he couldn't find a publisher because for that reason, and they wanted to make his gay characters straight. And he refused until he found a publisher who would publish his stories. And it seems bizarre now, but it was just the case at the time. Um, His stories are still, Transgressive and wildly imaginative and when I, I I was Had a dream of making an anthology tv show which mary is currently doing a really great one I think the best one i've seen since black mirror honestly.
2: Thank you so uh, much Jeez. and then
3: there's Twilight Zone, black mirror and now Monsterland. It's really great <gasps> Thank um you. the I've I've I stood in line to get clive barker's autographed at a bookstore called Change of Hobbit. It was his first American book signing. (laughs) And uh, I still have the signed copy of Books of Blood. I've always wanted to be the one to try to bring these stories um, uh, to the screen. There've been movies made of some of his stories, of course, including Hellraiser, the most popular. Um, And I finally got the chance to work with Clive on the books. I think it wasn't clear that I was going to be the one to do Books of Blood, a title he w- wasn't originally wanting to give away. Um, he 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 thought I would be okay to do it. I mean, it, that why me? I don't, because I was passionate about it. I don't know that I was the right guy, but I ended up being the guy and worked really closely with Clive on... Um, the three stories in this movie, one of which is based, it comes out of volume one of the original books and two new ones that we cooked up together. It's funny, Clive wasn't that interested in talking about the stories because to him they're very, I wrote those 30 years ago. Let's talk yeah. about new stories, you know, <laughs> so it's like, but um, it was a real dream come true for me uh, hmm. to, to do this since I was, you know, 20 years old.
1: Is there something, I'm I'm curious about creating those new stories, um, which uh, um, this sort of applies to all of you because you're all creating new stories based on existing um, work. But um, let's pick up where you left off, Brandon, and like creating those new stories, is there a certain books of bloodiness to them that makes them part of this franchise? Or is it just by dint of having Clive involved? Like what sets Books of Blood apart from his other work?
3: Well, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, Clive, Clive doesn't consider himself a horror writer. Um, he considers himself a writer, if, if anything, more kind of fantasy or dark fantasy. And Books of Blood is really the only horror he wrote. Um, and he wrote it because he had read a collection of short stories the name of which I can't remember, of course, um, and I should remember it because it's a very seminal collection of short stories that he read, that made him realize horror could be so many different things. Horror could be funny. Horror could be about supernatural things. Horror could be about every real world things like the weird fiction Mary mentioned. Horror could be so many things, and he was so inspired by that, and realized he hadn't really understood the genre, and he mm-hmm. suddenly. As, as astonishing as it seems, wrote six volumes of stories and published all six at once. It's kind of like the Beatles recording all their albums ahead of time. <laughs> all out at once. It's an incredible collection. And I think what makes this, you know, stories unique is that they always have something in it you've never seen before. A monster, mm-hmm. you, know, a, uh, when's the last, you know, when have you seen Pinhead? The, the the demon from Hellraiser, you know. There's always a, a, a monster you haven't seen, a, some subject matter that's been tackled you haven't seen. Um, he really prides himself on uh, his originality, and you know, never once in a Barker story you're going to see a vampire, a wer- a werewolf, uh, a hunchback, and or any of the traditional horror things. He mm-hmm. they're, they're all original.
1: Mm. That's really interesting, and and for sure that is you know. Part of the language of the movie too of books of blood. Um, by the way, I do. Yeah.
3: I I, I just want to mention one thing while we're, uh, like, I appreciated in your first episode, Mary. This, there's this. You know, I can't talk about it without giving it away. But (laughs) there, there, there's, there's a an an L. There's you came up with some new terms to describe what your first monster does. Hmm. You know. Um was it, I, I can't remember the term, is it alternates or, or, um,
2: Alternatives.
3: Alternatives. Thank you. That, that's cool. Like mm-hmm. that frame puts I, it in a whole new framework, you know, well,
2: I truly can't take credit for that. That's Nathan. Um, that's in, you know, our first, our pilot episode is, um, based on the first story of his book and that was something that, that he came up with. But again, it's, it's like that, Um, Unique and odd thing that kind of sits in that neutral world that we all recognize Um, And watching the story, I think you'll know more about what Brandon's
1: talking about What I want to ask specifically about Hellstrom um, and so you and your writing partner were hired to work on this show So there was already something in existence, right? The show had been sold. I don't know if a pilot had been shot but certainly had been written Um, When you show up in those early days um, what information do you get from the showrunner about this show? What to him was it about? What was the target that was given to the writers as far as what would be explored through this horror character, through this Marvel character?
0: Um, well, early on, I think well we were given thankfully, um, our showrunner Paul uh, Spiszewski, was was very transparent and very open and wanted us to come in with as much uh, armed with as much information as possible. Um, I'm sure for anyone who's aware of how Marvel works, it was, you know, things are kept (laughs) under tight uh, tight reins. Uh, Understandably so. So, um, I'm surprised
2: they let you be on this podcast. uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm
0: I'm pretty sure there are multiple sources listening to me.
2: (laughs) That's who that that woman was who wouldn't leave. She was from Marvel.
0: (laughs) Um, Wouldn't be surprised. Uh, No, she... um, Yeah, so he you know, was very clear about the direction from the jump, although very open to, you know, exploring new things and, you know, changing, not being beholden to the material. And we were lucky uh, in this sense because this particular piece of material came out of, you know, a smaller, initially a smaller property that was kind of a lesser known property, uh, Son of Satan and that whole run, which, you know, took on a bunch of different forms over time. So I think we felt like we had a little more license to kind of break free from canon a little bit and, and, and use that stuff more as Easter egg type stuff, but really focus more on what, how to tell the most grounded uh, horror story that we could. And that was, I guess that was really the, the mandate, which was, you know, how do we make this feel real? How do we make this feel like it could happen? You know, the references were certainly, you know, The Exorcist and, and uh, Rosemary's Baby and um, The Changeling came up quite a bit. <laughs> Uh, the George C. Scott changeling. Right. And um you know, so it was trying to find how to make it feel character driven and not about capes and not about people discovering powers and it's really how do you move that stuff into the the real world and uh, you know, that was the directive. So for let's-
1: sure. And it Let's talk about those right. conversations. I'm curious to hear about that because like the references that you point to, like those are huge shoes to try to fill. <laughs> um, there's also like a great Exorcist series that ran for two seasons. Yep. Like we we have no shortage of this kind of material. So how does Hellstrom set itself apart? I think it came
0: down to finding what was specific about our characters uh, in particular. Um, really, it wasn't, it wasn't about leaning into the traditional uh, exorcism models of things. Um, Not that, you know, I I love all that stuff um, for sure, but it was approaching it from a character perspective first. Um, You know, it was really tackling this, like a family story, you know, siblings who had suffered tremendous trauma uh, at the hands of their parents growing up and how that, how they were split apart and how they had to cope with that. In very different ways it's the nature versus nurture story and so it really was less about you know less about the demons and really sort of trying to find a new way into well what their relationship is with those demons and and something that we kind of called shadow side energy and you know it was really trying to take a somewhat scientific approach and how that clashes with our religious understanding of that stuff um which i personally found really fascinating i think is what attracted me the most to some of this, which was the conflict between, you know, religion and logic and and trying to explain <laughs> the completely unexplainable and uh, stuff like that. So, hmm. yeah, there was definitely a concerted effort to distinguish ourselves from, obviously, those, those classic models, um, which is a challenge, of course. But, uh, yeah, for us, every time we went back to who the two siblings were at the heart of the show, which were Damon and his sister Anna, and examining how broken they were, um as children and how broken they are as adults and how they process their trauma i think is what yielded the most interesting ways to tackle hmm. how they dealt with you know de- literally how they dealt with demons and yeah. their own powers and not look at them like powers so much as you know a burden <laughs> a burden to be reckoned with hey, is it hmm. safe
3: is it safe to say this is the because it, it, it's such an interesting tone the show um, marvel's first horror uh, pro- project that's what my, yeah.
2: my girlfriend and I were talking about that last night because we watched the pilot together and she commented that it was such a different tone than other Marvel things that she had watched and that that was really exciting to her and it was very welcome. You know, I think you saying it's really a family drama at its core, that's what we were saying. We were like, it's just a really fucked up family drama. Right. Um, but anyway, yeah, it is a very, very different kind of tone than other Marvel um adaptations
0: yeah I, i'm I'm glad you said that that was that was kind of the a really fun aspect of doing the show um and also really scary because it wasn't it was somewhat uncharted territory for, for marvel so there was a learning curve there and the goal was you know making sure we were leaning into the horror and not ideally not you know dancing around it too much and, and really kind of embracing it for what it was. Like if it's going to be the Marvel, Marvel's horror show, let's make sure that's what I it mean,
3: is. It's really successful and it's very intense. Oh, thanks. More, more so than any Marvel movie I've seen.
2: Yeah, it, it is. and it, it,
3: Emotionally it's very, very, very gripping <laughs> and intense material. Yeah. Well, I mean, can I but,
2: ask you about, Matt, like what it was like actually, as you were adapting, working with, um the source material or working with marvel because i i think that's really interesting and also especially because this does feel a little bit like a departure in tone for most marvel adaptations like what what were the did you what were the exact comments on commentary on that or is that something you guys fought for or
0: uh I, i mean paul uh fought for it tooth and nail for sure and he had very clear vision about what that was supposed to be and what it should be. So I think, you know, because of that, it made our <laughs> our jobs a lot easier for sure. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, you know, it was it, it was challenging to figure out, you know, to remind ourselves that it was a horror show, but also you, you didn't want to lose some seed of what you know Marvel is about, which there is an optimistic um kind of underpinning to a lot of the material and and, and aiming for something a little more hopeful. So we had to be cautious about how dark and these people are really fucked up and it is the fucked up family. And part of the research involved reading about, you know, the children of serial killers and, you know, stuff like that. And how, how these people cope with who their parent is supposed to be. And they're this horrible thing. So it was, that stuff got really, that took us into really dark places. Um, So I, you know, a common phrase in in the room would be let's not forget the marvel of it which is you know how do you get back to some kernel of of redemption or hope for some of these people um you know obviously the the found family aspect of it that grows throughout the show um is a you know a major component of that
3: i think the way the film the show is shot too is just stylistically um uh intense stylistically uh Elevated enough. It's it's different than say Monsterland, which is a more grounded tone. Which you know Polanski could have directed the two episodes I saw. Um, it's you've got a sen- there is a there is a, a sense of flair to the way the show is shot, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, uh, you know, we credit um, Dana Reed directed the pilot, and uh, her and our DP Bernard uh, Couture. They they really they really honed in on what we wanted to be and, and found the right look and really aimed for it to be, you know, cinematic, not, not overly heightened because we did want it to feel like it was in the real world. And we're not living in, you know, fisheye lenses all the time. And, and not even, well, even though I love a good fisheye, uh, <laughs> it's uh, it really was about finding the, yeah, find that cool look and just establishing that tone and pulling from you know, home from the X-Files was a big reference point. Again, um, you know, something really dark and insidious and just kind of finding the the way to shoot that.
3: Although I must say in Monsterland has some visual things that I'd never seen before. And without giving anything away, I have to ask you, Mary, there's a pivotal scene in the first episode where you a your heroine is seeing a monster for the first time. And the decision was made to, as the monster is unveiled, to be dissolving from it's a series of lap dissolves between the heroine's reaction and then un- Unveiling of the monster and I've never seen anyone do that before and it was very mm-hmm. hypnotic and, and interesting was that did you write it that way? Was that a directorial thing? Did you do it in the cutting room? How did that come about?
2: We did it in the edit. Yeah. Well, I was working with this incredible um, editor Bill Henry um, and he, I'm gonna give him some shit for it. Cause, uh, the first time we tried it, he was like, this is overwrought. We can't possibly. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I think he, you know, he grew to love it as well. I think we were, I was just searching for something that felt a little more psychedelic and a little bit more like what the experience of, Because again, like you're saying, uh, a lot of our uh, pilot is shot really handheld. Um, It's very, it lives in like a more natural world rather than a stylized world. Um, And that moment ended up in the cutting room needing something a little bit more stylized, which is something we found out about the show as we went on, that it's, um, while we wanted everything to be very grounded, um, you know, horror requires a certain um, amount of stylization, whether I think you want it to or not. And so as we went through the season, I think what we learned was that it was a a mix of the two of finding those really grounded, really intimate moments with our characters, but also finding a way for, um, you know, like we, we have truly some like, you know, witches in our series and, and some, um, we have a shadow monster in our series and we have, um, you know, some kind, some semi-traditional actual monsters. It's, it, it's a little bit monster of the week in that way, but, um, in order for those to really, uh, I think emerge in this natural world, we had to surround them with just a little bit of stylization. Um, but Matt, I thought that was also really cool about your series, which I found when I was watching the pilot that the establishing shots were the things that reminded me that I was in um, a comic book world, that I was in not our natural world because there was like a real element of stylization of those and also to like um, your, your titles, your chirons and stuff like that. But then you were also able to get really inside of the character's heads um, in the scene work, which I thought was a really tricky and fine balance and all, huge kudos to your director dana is that her name
0: yeah 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 thank you really she,
2: really set you off on the right foot i think with with that pilot
0: yeah she well, worked on a uh, handmaid's tale and really did you know really brought a great stark really dark vision to it which
2: yeah she's phenomenal fantastic
1: and a lot of what we're talking about is tone um and you yep. know tone can is, is such a thin line uh, in horror, or it can be. And I think you each tow it really well and are so specific in what you're trying to get across. I mean, Matt, you mentioned this balancing of family drama and horror show and Marvel show, which like, that's a lot to have to contend with. Um, and Brandon, I wanted to talk about Books of Blood too, where you've got this um, almost pulp tone, but it never veers into cartoon, I think. Um, were there conversations around tone and what was right for this, these stories and these characters?
3: Yes, and it, it, the word pulp is appropriate because in trying to fashion uh, an anth- anthological horror film, and there have been many of them, um, some are successful. I just happened to watch Twilight Zone, the movie last night, which is partly successful. Um, <laughs> the George Miller nightmare at 20,000 feet is amazing. Yep. Uh, it's probably, but that's about it. Um, and then there's the very first movie I saw when I was six years old, Tales from the Crypt, which was mm-hmm. uh, Joan Collins in it, which is is also uneven. And I, I I really was like, how am I going to approach this? And I did my best. Uh, and one can only aspire. I, I looked at the Pulp Fiction again, and I thought, well, that's probably to me the most successful anthology anthology film ever made one could argue because the stories um cross-pollinate just enough they don't rely on one another but they they touch each other just enough and that's how i decided to go about it and you know horror walks you know i've written a lot of science fiction too and the two and Science fiction and horror are very close cousins because mm-hmm. if you don't get the tone right, you are going to veer into pure comedy. Um, you know, silliness, um, pulpiness, whatever you want to call it. And yeah, there, it, I think there, there are many discussions on, on every level. How is it going to be photographed? Um, I decided to go after just a very c- c- cinematic, simple, uh, classical style. Um, the, what the actors are, the performances are very, I tried to keep as grounded as possible because when the fantastical things are happening all around you, it does help. And I'm sure Mary and Paul would agree, like you don't want over the top performances, uh, because that could ruin everything. You know, everything's just got to kind of be grounded to some degree. I hope I'm answering your question. Yeah, but.
1: for sure. And, and I want to continue this, this tone conversation with you, Mary, and ask about, like, all of these stories in Monsterland take place in the same world, and I think you can feel that world. Um, and they take place in the world of um, Ballinger's book. But the book, as I recall, felt oppressively dire, <laughs> and i think like they those stories could be downers especially piled up on top of each other and and i don't get that as much from the tv show which i really appreciated um and i'm curious to hear about again finding that tone that isn't oppressive
2: hmm it's funny that you say that because i got a lot of notes along the way about not making the show oppressive which I don't really have a judgment on on the book and whether or not it's dire or oppressive, and I don't know that I have that same kind of judgment on our series either. I think that you know we, as the writers' room, and and me as as the person I am, just kind of put ourselves on the page, and I think the stories in in Nathan's book are intensely personal. Um, he's he's very honest and open about the fact that. Um, he was writing them from like a, a very personal place. Not to say that they're in any way semi or they're in any way autobiographical, but I I think that you know it was how he sees the world, and Monsterland is how I see the world. Um, it's it's my reflection on. Various horrors in the world that were happening in the moment that we were writing the series and some that are continuing to happen And some that feel like they're happening even more right now in this current moment Um, I think that probably I am a person of some great hope um, I I grew up uh, a, a, In a religious family Um I have a, a deep attachment to all things spiritual not an attachment to the church anymore, but it truly an attachment to, to God and to spirituality and to, um, a greater, higher authority uh, than there is just, uh, you know, walking around and looking around at, 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 at things. So I think that perhaps I have just a natural hopefulness about the way that the world works. But again, uh, you know, our series tackles really hard subject matter. It, it tackles women's issues and, and, uh, and, you know, s- sexual um, harassment and, and uh, sexual abuse and, um, you know, uh, online radicalization and a lot of things that I think are um, <laughs> sort of hot button issues, but we, we really try to do it from a place of um, character. And I think innately from a place of hope, just based on who I am and, the kind of writers that I hired and what the conversations were in, in the writers' room. So, I think if anything, you're you're just probably experiencing us.
1: That's and that's what a show should be, right? Like yeah. it's it's this the thing that comes out of this collection of minds and experiences and points of view, um, and it it's often you know, it it can be all of these things at once, uh, and at sure. its best, it is all of these things at once. Um, Absolutely. Matt, what was the what was the room like um, on Hellstrom? What do you know with where those writers came from? What their experiences were uh, in the genre or not in the genre?
0: Um, it was it was a variety actually, which I think was really helpful because um, just everyone kind of brought an, a really unique perspective. Just um, you know, we had comedy writers, we had feature uh, feature horror writer. Um, you know, my partner and I obviously had. Definitely came from more of the genre world, but weren't quite as familiar, or quite as you know rooted in the comic book world. So then we we had people who were coming from the comic book world. Um, so yeah, that I it was a really kind of eclectic mix that I, I think helped kind of shake up a lot of different approaches to things. Um, yeah. You know, and and just to you know echo you, Mary, uh, I, I felt you know I, coming from uh, same thing. I came from a very very religious you know upbringing. And it, it, those kinds of experiences, the room was very open about just having those frank conversations about how you felt about that kind of upbringing, you know, parts you were grateful for and parts you weren't so grateful for and and how your family really affected everybody and and shaped you. So um, it was a pretty, it was a very open dialogue. And I think that stuff was essential to, you know, for this story in particular.
1: Um, Brandon, I am, I a
0: question.
1: absolutely. Yeah. Um, Brandon, am I, am I right that this is your first, uh, feature directing job? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Bravo, been, yeah. Bravo. That's exciting. Congrats! Hey. Um, nice. I would love to hear about that and, and you know, what all of these years of show running and producing and writing and those experiences, um, Taught you or how they prepared you for
3: this job? Well, first of all, I want to apologize for calling Matt Paul a few minutes earlier. I'll take credit. Really gnawing at me. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, I directed some television, mm-hmm. which is a completely different experience. Yeah. But. Um,
2: In what you know, way? Was, Tell me how it's different.
3: Well, you you have a lot more time, you know. Instead of shooting seven pages a day, you're shooting two or two pages a day, which is a huge difference. Still not enough time, um, but yeah. Uh, <laughs>
2: I was like on our show, We sometimes shot like ten pages <laughs> a day. Oh my god, we shot a lot on Monsterland. <laughs> By the
3: way, uh, an aside here how many how many I'm just curious on the first uh, what was the average amount of days each of you had on your episodes.
1: <laughs> well, ours. I
2: <laughs> no, we can talk about it. I'm sorry. I also really want to hear your answer, though, too, because I, as a as a showrunner and as a writer producer, I desperately want to start directing. I feel like that's the next well, foray that I want to tiptoe yeah. into. So. Well, let me tell you.
3: So, to an- to answer your question, I've been lucky in that the the t- the few television episodes I've directed have been shows that I was also running or co-running, so I wasn't answering to anybody but myself and the studio and the network um the and With the the movie though, you know, the expectations are different Um, it's you're getting more money and more time. So it it can't look like television. What does that mean? You know, what how am I going to make this not look like a, a lifetime movie? It's my great terror and i'm still not sure it doesn't
2: um It doesn't, you know, uh, but also I I love lifetime movies. So I do it, too. It, Look, don't, it, give me, sure don't get
3: me don't get me into the, the lifetime uh, holiday. <laughs> movies. I mean, it's, it's Christmas in July last month. By the way, they showed nothing but holiday movies. um But uh the experience of show running was the best possible training because uh, the you know forgive my fancy t- term, but Showrunners on television are the new auteurs. They're, rec- they're writers and producers who are have a vision and are recognized as such. And in film, it's the director. In TV, it's the showrunner, period. And as the showrunner, you're not direct. You may not be on the set um, orchestrating the day's work, but you're orchestrating how everything's going to look, feel, tone. Um, You may do tone meetings where you page through a script with the director to make sure the director's getting your vision. That's, it's the opposite on a movie. I've written some movies. I'm having a tone meeting with the director and he's telling me what to write. It's the exact opposite. Um, I always kind of held off on directing because I didn't, I was nervous I wouldn't be able to do it, but I'm, I'm here to tell you, Mary, when you get behind that camera and you start prepping you know you're, let's say you're, you're going to do a monster land, it's going to come naturally to you because you've been doing it as a showrunner. you've already been doing it, and um, there are more mechanics involved, and you have to have a very strong sense of what the days, what you can do in a day and and all that stuff. but my only regret is I didn't, you know, I didn't start directing. And, you know, until about 10 years ago, I wish I'd done it much sooner. You know, I was mm. nervous. I was nervous mm-hmm. that I couldn't yeah. do it. You know, I was like, but of course it's the most, it's out of the, all the aspects of making a something, you know, writing to me is the most rewarding, but also the hardest part, but mm. dire- direct directing is just fun. Mm. Reward yourself and do it. It's,
1: yeah.
3: it's really Really fun, and you know, the movie just had to be. You know, I hate to keep using the word elevated. It's just had to. It had to just be more cinematic. Um, I could, you know, it could be more violent. It could be more. Um, I could shoot. I could show male nudity, which you can't you never get away with on most television shows. At least, no, front, I got a full frontal shot in there uh, at a critical mo- moment um, of horror. And, uh, you, you know, the language like I, Books of Blood, which I originally developed as a television anthology, um, it wouldn't have worked because it couldn't be transgressive enough. I would have always had to mm. censor myself. Uh, and you, that's the last thing you want to do with Clive Barker's work, you know. Mm. So I'm lucky it ended up where it ended up.
2: Mm. That's cool. Well, it's really exciting to hear you say that. And, and thank you for your encouragement. I feel like, you know, part of my journey of creativity is always stepping into something that terrifies me. You know, I think a long time ago, writing terrified me. And then, you know, last year, show terrified me because I had never done it before. And now directing terrifies me. But I feel like I'm constantly <laughs> looking to, you know, hold the baby just a little bit more. You know what I mean? Like, just put. Put what a happen- hand
3: under the well, butt. <laughs> what'll happen though is you're going to quickly find, you know, once you've started directing, like I can't imagine I'm going to be comfortable sitting next to a director on a set directing my next pilot.
1: Mm.
3: Like that, I know that now, now that I know I can do it, um, unless it's a very specific director with a you know, specific vision or some reason they're right for it you start to realize that you want to bring your own stuff to life. Sure. Um, so I hope you get to do it really soon. Thank and you. Same with you, Matt, if you have that that uh, aspiration.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean I, I, my question, Brandon, would be, did you, uh, just out of curiosity, I mean, did you feel like you were coming up against any, like, Seemingly ridiculous barriers in terms of like, well, yes, you've run all of these shows, you've done all of this work, you've written all of this material, but you know we can't possibly allow you to direct yet. You just don't have the experience as a director. (laughs) It's like, well, wait a minute, you know. Uh, I mean,
3: without question, you're hitting on something that I constantly told myself uh, for many years. They'll never let me do. I'm not even going to ask because they're just going to say no and. You know, how do I broach this? And it just, you know, it happened. Um, it just, you know, and the first thing I ever directed was, uh, Cosmos, which is, which is a kind of a science adventure show. It's, they call it a documentary, but it's really not because of course you can't t- take cameras into outer space. But, uh, it's
2: Tom Cruise wants to, doesn't he?
3: Yeah. I know. yeah. I mean, by the way, it had to, it, it to be Tom Cruise or James Cameron. Like who's going to try that crazy idea first? Uh, but, uh, you know, it's with in in the case of this movie, um, when it started to get developed, when it was proposed that it get developed as an anthology movie, which I immediately knew was the better version of it. Mm. I just said. I just said. I I think this will work great. I, I know just how to do the script, but I'm directing it, and I just and I knew I I was nervous. They would say no, um, but I knew I just that's the one condition. Yeah, and they they did they didn't really make a deal of it all. I've got all well worked up for nothing. Yeah, but um, so you got to stand. You know, it helps when something's if if Monsterlands. A, a great success, you're in a great position to just say you're going to be doing it.
2: Well, yeah. I, I think that's what I, I did, honestly, that got me into this role. And it's something that I tell, especially a lot of women, and to all the women who are listening to this too. I know um, that sometimes um, I see a lot of my female colleagues or female friends fear that they are not educated enough to be in a particular role or trained enough to be in a particular role. And that's just not true. Um, I see a lot of, of Men And I'm generalizing here, but I see it often that men will just be forward enough to say, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. I know that I can do it. Um, Whether they believe that or not, they exude that kind of confidence. And I think that I see a lot more Women say, oh, I need to take a class or i'm not trained in that or I don't know how to do that And it's like, yeah, but learn on the job You know, I, I think that's a real thing you you have a lot more knowledge If you want to do something and you're you're invested in it and you work hard You have a lot more knowledge than even you know, like I mean I stepped into the this job not even really knowing like all of the the aspects of what a wine producer does or who I would be hiring versus who other people would be hiring. And I had to learn all of those things as I went. And now I know it all. And did the sip, ship, ship sink? No, it totally didn't. I, I think that's the way that you claim your territory. And I think that's the way that you, if you really want those opportunities, you have to just say like, Oh, yeah, I'm doing it. I mean, no one questioned, not once, at least not in front of me, no one questioned my ability to run this show. And I'm very, very grateful for that. But also, I never let on that I was questioning my ability to run the show, even though privately. I was like, where's my Xanax? You know, like, and this is a nightmare. <laughs> this is the worst thing I ever signed up to do. My poor, sweet, wonderful girlfriend got so many phone calls when I was in New York shooting, just like crying at like literally 3 a.m. And I was like still on set and she was like, oh my God. But you know, I did it and I want to do it again. And I think that that's, it's really important to just like claim that territory, just like, uh, just like Brandon's saying. Mm-hmm.
1: And appropriate to the conversation and appropriate to the month, Um, that is such good advice. I think so much of what holds people back is fear, right? Yeah. Uh, and, And if you can get rid of that fear in yourself, then you've gone a long way towards overcoming the obstacles you think are in front of you.
2: But you won't get rid of it in yourself. It's always going to be there. You just have to like, my dad always says this thing that I think is so great. That's like, it's okay to have butterflies in your stomach. You just have to teach them to fly in formation. And I've always like, yeah, man, that's That's totally fucking it. Like you're just going to be, no one knows what they're doing and everyone's scared of fucking everything. And you just have to like figure out how to use it. Anyway.
3: Yeah, I'm, I mean, still, I, this, I'm still I'm still mulling over your comment that you used to find writing terrifying. Hmm.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I know too terrifying to try. <laughs> I still definitely find it terrifying. I mean, like two days ago, you know, we just wrapped post production on Monsterland last week, um, or at least the majority of my work was wrapped last week. Um, and you know, I mean, immediately afterwards, th- three hours afterwards, I was like. I'm never going to have another story to tell again, you know, it's just a nightmare process, but it's always the same thing. And the more you do it, the more you get used to like, oh yeah, I remember the like 20 other times that I, I felt that same way too. And I was like, I might as well quit and you know, move back to Texas. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know if anybody else feels this way, but the, in my opinion or experience, it feels like without a certain level of, Anxiety or or nervousness about what you're delivering or putting out there or attempting to do, then I find that inevitably the worst worst problems happen when I'm not (laughs) nervous about something. Like nervous, you know, nervous is good. It's you know, going go back to like being in theater or whatever. It becomes I knew the nights where if you weren't nervous going out on stage, you definitely screwed up. The nights (laughs) where you were just about to throw up, it was like great.
2: Yeah, totally. I'm
3: going to go back to. Proto-humans, where being nervous was being aware, right? right. Anxiety right. gets a bad rap, like anxiety has a purpose. And if you're nervous, it means you're aware of everything. You're mm-hmm. hyper aware mm-hmm. of, and that in the in the filmmaking process, as a director, uh, call it nervousness or call it, you you are aware of everything because you have right. to. And, and you know and, how
2: much it means to you too, like, I. I I had a friend comment to me once like you you talk about work all the time and it's like yeah but it works not work to me work is my DNA spilled out on a page in front of everyone in the most vulnerable way and Mm -hmm. that kind of anxiety you know that that Brandon's talking about like that just means that it means everything to you and and you're aware of that and you know the stakes of of putting yourself out there in the world and and um of people responding to that and and having to deal with in their responses both positive and negative it's all horrible if someone likes your work it's equally as horrible as if they don't like but that that anxiety and that fear that's all part of the creation process it's just having a baby you know
0: and having people around who understand that is a challenge in and of
2: itself.
3: like, how do writers', how writers rooms work? even function? I'm, mean, right. It's <laughs> amazing. The, I know. How are
2: we even doing this podcast? Like, I'm <laughs> shocked.
3: Well, I, I'm, I'm grateful. We're, I, I was worried it was going to be on camera. And I was like, oh, God. So I'm very <laughs> happy that yeah. uh, we're just... <gasps> I put on a lot of makeup, so I assumed it was. So <laughs>
2: yeah, no. I know, Brandon. <laughs> good thing you wore that cool hat. You <laughs> were you were prepped. <laughs> uh,
1: let me wrap up uh, first by saying uh, all of these shows are out in the coming weeks. As of folks hearing this, Monsterland premieres on the second of October. Uh, Books of Blood is on the seventh of October, and Hellstrom premieres on the sixteenth of October. All on Hulu. Happy Halloween to all of you. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> We'll wrap up, as we always do, by asking you what you are watching on television these days, what's getting you excited or inspired, what are you talking about with your friends and loved ones. And Matt, let's start with you.
0: Um, well, there's there has been time to watch lots of things. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I'll be honest, I think, strangely, during this time, aside from catching up on a few things I missed, uh, I've been going back to comfort food uh, shows for the bulk of the time. Like what? of Oh, one of those, well, specifically, uh, I'm happy to be sharing this with Brandon, with Brandon, uh, because I'm a huge next generation fan. Uh, so I've just been, I think I've probably watched star Trek next generation about the whole run through at least twice now in the quarantine period. Cause it makes me feel good. <laughs> um, and that alternately with uh, the Sopranos and six feet under, and you know, it's an eclectic mix there. Uh, I, I'm in the middle. I'm almost done reading um, Stephen Chbosky's new book, uh, Imaginary Friend, which I, I really enjoyed, um, which was his sort of foray into the Stephen King horror
1: yeah. world. which I've read cool. great things about it, too. I'm excited. Yeah, it. yeah.
0: It, it's quite good. And then Oliver Stone's memoir I just started as well, which is its own, oh, interesting. <laughs> which is its own bag of interesting, uh, crazy, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> in a good way.
1: Brandon, what are you watching these
3: days? Um... Well, just I just finished season seven of a show called Alone. Hmm. It's a survivalist show where they drop 10 people into the Arctic during winter. And Ooh. in this case, whoever survives 100 days wins a million dollars. But they're alone with a, with a couple cameras. And um, I'm not a survivalist nut or anything. I don't. This <laughs> is well done. You know, it's, it's just well done. And, um, and I'm, my comfort, um, thanks for the, the next generation. Uh, um, they are kind of comforting. They're so slow though. I don't know how you, but, uh, wow. <laughs> I'm rereading Daphne du Maurier's short stories and novellas. Mm.
0: which
3: I was a huge influence on me growing up and, um, hadn't read them in so many years and, uh, just love, her, love her work.
2: Brilliant, shout out to Don't Look Now.
3: Oh boy, yeah. We could could do a whole podcast.
2: (laughs) I mean, yeah, we could do a whole series.
1: (laughs) (laughs) God, Uh, Mary, what are you watching?
2: Watching, um, I May Destroy You, uh, HBO. I cannot recommend it more. Right. As someone who I, I tend to write more of things that are like genre based or, or more elevated, but I tend to watch things that are either more in the comedy space or a little more like raw and confessional. Um, and I've just I've never seen anything like this show. It's doing things on television and talking about things on television that are never, never done. I mean it's a it's a um, series that came over from uh, it's a British series, and so I think that uh, perhaps. Um, there was a little bit more allowance for some of the things that they're talking about there that then, you know, uh, we've, we've pulled it over here and to the United States to, to share in that glory. But I, I can't say any, um, more good things about it. It's so wonderful. Um, and then, uh, for, for fun, my girlfriend just started writing for Rick and Morty. And so we're working our way back through the entire, uh, Rick and Morty, um, series, which I had never seen before.
3: <laughs> By the way, speaking of HBO and, and this podcast, there's a, a mini series on HBO, a documentary series called uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark.
2: Oh, yeah. I've heard it's wonderful. It's been, it's been, yeah, it's great.
3: Which is as much a series about a serial killer as it is about writing. And a writer, in this case, Michelle McNamara, who passed away succumbed to her obsession writing a book about this topic. And it's fascinating. It's more about her and writing than it is the killer, honestly. Yes. It's it's really great.
1: Yeah, that's a great recommendation and a great reason for it too. Um thank you all so much for being here. This was terrific. Uh I'm look forward to everyone watching your shows. Congrats on all of them. Uh and let's talk again soon